folding pocket. The Fast and the Curious is part of the Acast Creators Network. You enjoy it now. Hello and welcome back to The Fast and the Curious with me, Betty Glover, Christian Hugill and Greg James. I'm back in my garden. Uh, Greg and Christian, you're in much better recording places, aren't you? You're in your little home shift studios. I think the garden might be the best place for a podcast. I, I feel like we had maybe our best episode in my garden and I, I, miss, I miss you all. The house is quieter without you. Maybe, maybe we should move in. <laughs> <laughs> Bella would be really pleased, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Bella, no, listen to me, Bella. I'm doing it for the good of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Team bonding, Bella. Come on. Bella, what do you mean this evening you don't want to watch a classic Grand Prix? What's wrong with you? <laughs> well, oh, dear. welcome to The Fast and the Curious, a Formula One podcast for Formula One fans and newcomers with... Uh, Betty Glover, who is a wonderful sporting journalist and inquiring mind. Oh, my God. Christian Hugill, who is sort of the Rachel Riley of Formula One. (laughs) And me, the uh, clumsy team principal who tries his very best to arrange as much fun as possible for his star drivers. That's how we run this podcast. And we've got lots of things to get through today, including some listener questions. But the main thing... By the way, happy Pride. You were at Red Bull, Christian. I was at Red Bull Racing yesterday. Yes, I spent the full day there. My second visit to their HQ in Milton Keynes. I mean, any day where you go to an F1 thing is a, is a lovely day. A, a surreal day, I would say. Did it smell successful? Right, I'll tell you what I did notice. I'll tell you why I was there in a moment. But in one of the little talks I was doing... I mentioned in passing other teams mm. and one of the people in in front of me in this little talk I was doing, like two or three of them literally went, <gasps> These, and you know when you get, to, you know you see the drivers going, oh, you've no idea how many people there are behind the scenes. I met these people behind the scenes. They are just as competitive as the drivers. It is one massive team of thousands of people who are just as determined to win as the people you see on the telly and at the track. Do you want to tell everybody listening why you were there and what you were doing? Because you weren't just there for a jolly way. No, I mean, I kind of was. But I, I'm an ambassador for Racing Pride. So Racing Pride is an international group that sort of exists to promote... LGBT plus inclusion in motorsport and it's Pride Month and there are a number of Formula One teams who have said yes we'd like to be a part of Racing Pride Um, Aston Martin and Alpine and the latest to do so were Red Bull and they invited a few of us from Racing Pride down to talk to their staff about why inclusion's important and obviously a lot of people will know but some people might have questions about LGBT stuff and that's fine one thing that social media sometimes doesn't do a very good job of is highlighting the fact it's okay to have questions and not understand stuff and talk about it so myself uh, a couple of amazing racing drivers well three amazing racing drivers actually all went to have a bit of a chat uh, to some of their Red Bull team, some of Red Bull's management, and they could ask us questions. We could talk about our experiences in motorsport, and it was just a lovely day. What were the things that kept coming up? 
Give us a little insight into your into your TED talk. The things that kept coming up were, and so I spoke a little bit about this in our second ever episode of the podcast. But I, and it will shock regular listeners this news, but I am gay. What? But oh my god, I did not know he's gay, and I make no secret of the fact that I struggled with my sexuality when I was young, and one of the big reasons I did struggle was because I was involved in two sports, in football and in motorsport. And there are still, to this day, we know at Racing Pride, so many people who struggle to feel open about their sexuality in the what can be perceived as very male, macho, masculine world of Formula One. That was the big theme that kept coming up. And and there are people, you know, involved in motorsport who have worked at a particular team in motorsport for 10 years and only through Racing Pride found the courage to come out as trans and be who they truly are at work. Mm. So it was basically just saying, look, you know, we can make environments welcoming for everybody because what F1 teams want to do is win. And there are some estimates that in the younger generation, in the younger generation, up to a third of people identify in some way LGBTQ. If you have an environment where you don't feel that you can be that in the workplace, if from an F1 perspective, you're missing out on talent. And I was once interviewing, um, for a different F1 thing I do, interviewing a mechanic about female involvement in motorsport. Um, and I remember him turning around going, I don't give a shit whether they're male, female, gay or straight. I want the best people. And that really made me laugh. And that's the summary, isn't it? You just want the best people and you don't want to be excluding mm. women or LGBT people. And that's fundamentally what Raising Pride is there to do. That sort of language and that delivery of, of that person you just imitated always gives me the fear because it, it's always the same person that goes, I don't care if they're black, brown, blue, green. And I'm like, you're about to say something racist here. So... Uh, uh, that, so when you did that, I got my, I got, I got quite defensive of you about to say something horrible. But no, I know exactly what you mean. It's a fascinating topic across, across all sport, really. And I can't remember. Well, I don't think there are any well-known gay Formula One drivers in history. No, a, the... a, an F1, to my knowledge, and someone will get in touch if I'm wrong. I don't think there's been an openly gay Formula One driver. And, no. and it can be daunting being yourself in sports. Greg, you've spoken about this, about not feeling comfortable about being a certain type of football fan because you didn't feel as much of a football fan as some others. <laughs> Betty, you will definitely have had experiences being yeah. a woman in sport mm. because, as I said earlier, sport can be quite male and macho. So it, it, little, there was really little things like one of the lovely managers of Red Bull Powertrains, Red Bull's engine company, said to me at the end, he's like, what What can I do? And I was like, L- listen, and Red Bull printed out these lovely little rainbow things. I was like, listen, sticking one of those on your desk, just so if you get a new employee who comes into your office, knows that, yeah, it's fine, by the way, that can be enough. Huge credit to Red Bull because they're doing this sort of thing. They're inviting people as in. They're saying we're part of Racing Pride. It's brilliant. Yeah, really good. Those Those, those small gestures go a long way. Do you remember a couple of years ago when people started putting their pronouns in email signatures and on Instagram. Yeah. And it's I, I did mine on Instagram because I read something, I read a really interesting piece a couple of years ago where, because people were like, oh, why are you saying he, him? And it's partly so everyone feels included. And the main thing 
the main reason it's done is so that there isn't a default. Mm. So you shouldn't ever assume. It's not like, well, if I don't say I'm he, him, in this instance, he, him, or, or pronouns, that makes someone else go, oh, right, that's nice, that you don't assume that he, him is the, or she, her is the default. And the same thing for uh, being straight. Straight is not the default. That's not like straight is normal and gay is abnormal. That's, 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 so that's a really lovely thing to take away from those sorts of discussions I guess and that goes back to you talking about the little gesture of putting a pride flag on a desk or whatever it is yeah I was wondering what kind of questions did you get asked Christian did you get asked any kind of really interesting questions or did anyone on the panel say anything that kind of really got you thinking or slightly surprised you or anything I mean the panel were amazing so there was Emily who is a French GT4 and Formula 4 driver and she spoke a lot about not feeling comfortable bringing her wife into the paddock and having her watching her and and just how hard that is when everyone, you know, when families come to big races and, and she wasn't able to. So that was really amazing to hear from an actual racing driver. And then there was Jordan Rand, who is an e-scooter racer, the most enthusiastic American, wonderful, positive force of a person you'll ever be likely to meet. And she was talking about feeling uncomfortable being bi. So she's bi, but has a long-term male partner and talks about this sort of thing. And then it's like, well, am I allowed to talk about this sort of thing? Because I've got a male partner. And and she brought her experiences into it. So the, the panel were absolutely amazing. And that's all alongside the sort of head of Racing Pride, who's a brilliant racing driver called Richard Morris, is just absolutely fantastic. Racingpride.com, by the way, is Racing Pride's website where you can find out more about this sort of thing, a bit more about Richard and why Richard set it all up, because Richard's absolutely brilliant. But a lot of the things that kept coming up were just why people like me have felt uncomfortable. And I'll be honest with you, right? I got home yesterday and I felt quite emotionally exhausted Hmm. because we were talking about obviously serious stuff and there were like big bosses of Red Bull there and I think I felt quite a lot of pressure to kind of get it right because I've been very lucky since we started this podcast and since I did the Lewis Hamilton interview to get lots of messages about this sort of thing. Betty you said it to me the other day in a private text you were like wow you get such deep messages. Even by just being openly gay and talking about, like, being gay and knowing what DRS means. Do you know what I mean? Like, just being gay and talking on a podcast. I've had so many messages of people going, oh, it's amazing what you do. And I'm kind of like, well, I, I don't really aim to do any of that. I just talk about F1. And that's sort of how low the bar is. There are that few openly gay people talking about sports. And I'm a sports broadcaster. I present F1 podcasts and I do F1 reporting. And I don't hide the fact I'm gay. Kind of yesterday, I'm like, am I saying the right thing? Am I... Am I doing this right? It sort of feels like a bit of pressure. So to anyone who sent nice messages, thank you. And I just, I'd, I'd never went out to be this sort of, oh, I'm going to stand up for LGBT rights in sport. I just mentioned I was gay on the radio once and it kind of snowballed from there. And it's all been <laughs> like, oh God, I hope I'm doing this right. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't matter if you're doing it right. You're, you're doing it in your own way. And that's the beauty because there's no one right way. It's wonderful that these events happen. Great that people are learning all the while. But 
we shouldn't rely <laughs> on on people like you, Christian, who happen to be working in Formula One and are gay to tell everyone else why it's <laughs> a good thing to be open-minded. A, a similar sort of exhaustion happens with people of colour who have to go and do endless talks about it and say this is why we should be included in things. And actually, we'll get to the point at some point <laughs> where, you know, it's not on the people concerned in a minority or a community to go and talk about it. But that said, good on you. Well, bless you, because you get that a lot in Pride Month. You get you get a sort of... I mean, I remember a, a former colleague at a place I used to work 10 years ago once saying to me, oh, there's, there's not really any homophobia about nowadays. And that person meant well. Um, bless her. Didn't mean any harm by it. But then it was only this year where myself and my boyfriend were walking linked arms in Covent Garden in London of all places full of fairy lights high camp <laughs> Covent Garden high camp it is it is Covent Garden is high camp but we were walking with linked arms and someone shouted at us that's effing disgusting oh and that's the like it does still happen homophobia was still out there granted we were naked at the time but <laughs> Was it because you you were wearing your McLaren? Jumper? Yeah, it was. It was. Yes, it was. It was an Alpine fan. That's what it was. Yeah. Uh, you know, it still happens, and and it was nice to talk about. But would you like the Would you like the two bizarre things? Right. The first was when we went to Red Bull's main reception. They had the drivers and constructors world championship trophies with a telly above them with my name on it as like, visiting Red Bull today. And it was like, <laughs> well, that's the closest I'm ever going to get to having my name anywhere near an F1 trophy. So we've got to take that. <laughs> the final weird thing was I mentioned we were in these talks with Red Bull's bosses. And as I'm in sort of just wrapping the last bit of the day, Christian Horner walks in. Oh! I was going to ask if he was there. Yeah. Wow. Change your fucking sexuality then. <laughs> And Christian said, that, so he, he walked in and I'm sort of like, I'll just carry on and pretend this is normal. Okay, this is fine. So he, ga- he gave me a big smile and walked in, caught the room, wearing Greg, you know, the traditional team principal white shirt, crisp white shirt, had that on. Mm, yeah. Greg knows it well, wears it daily. Yeah, exactly. And sort of listened to what I'd got to say and I sort of wrapped up and was like, this is normal and went, oh, you know, so great to hear you talking about things. Uh, and he went... I've learned a lot because obviously my wife is an icon of the gay community and she's taught me an awful lot about it, wow. <laughs> which I thought was hilarious because obviously Christian's married to a Spice Girl. Christian was open to the fact that one of the Spice Girls has sort of taught him about the LGBT community a lot. <laughs> Did you not invite him on to the podcast or? Well, I think that is all already in the works. Okay. So you saw Christian Horner. What else did you see? What was it like? Did you see any cars? How many trophies did you see? Because I saw on your Instagram, you were stood there and by like a million different trophies. What was it like? Let's do cars and trophies. Trophies first. (laughs) Bear in mind in Formula One's history, Red Bull are what I class as a new team. They weren't around when I was first watching. They're not like Ferrari, Mercedes, who've been there forever. And yet, When you walk into the main reception, there is a floor-to-ceiling, whole-room trophy cabinet. 
and I said to the receptionist, so they, do they bring new ones in all the time and have to go up on a cherry picker? She was like, yeah, that's exactly it. Only last week they bought the Miami ones in. What a job. Sorry, can you imagine if that is your job to bring in this like valuable trophy and have to like go up on a cherry picker, place it in, move everything along? It would take hours. And if you do one mistake, they'd all come falling down. <laughs> you mentioned that Red Bull didn't exist as a Formula One team a few years ago. Is there a fear from companies like Red Bull that, I don't know, what's another big company in the world? I don't know, Amazon or whoever could just come along and and blow everyone out of the water with a big checkbook. Well, the cost cap means no in the past, yes. But other companies have tried it. Virgin had a Formula One team in the 2010s, uh, in the early 2010s. That did not go well. It's not easy. And that's why it's so impressive what Red Bull have done. They bought the Jaguar team when Jaguar were not doing well in the early 2000s. And they have... They've changed the face of modern Formula One. It's it's incredible. Mm. And then you mentioned the cars, Betty. They have a route. So the red. It's like a it's like a university campus. It's like one of those universities. You know, you get some unis that are like dotted around the city, but then you get some unis like the University of Nottingham or Loughborough University. To anyone who's ever been there, where it's just a big campus. Red Bulls like that. This big campus in Milton Keynes with different buildings. It looks like a uni. And um, in one of these rooms in this campus, they've got almost one of every car from every year, starting with the first ever Red Bull driven by David Coulthard in the early 2000s and then going all the way that goes round in a big horseshoe shape. And it's incredible. So Williams, we've been lucky enough to go, Betty. They've got their museum room, which is like that. And it goes all the way back to the sort of 60s. Mm. But Red Bull are... They're going to be there in 20, 30 years. That room will be a museum because I can't see Red Bull going anywhere anytime soon. So Red, just what Red Bull's done in Formula One, it's amazing. Extraordinary, really, for what is a completely disgusting drink. I was just thinking this. I was like, oh, do you not like it? Not at all. No, no, no one like should like Red Bull. Oh, no, I do. What? What do you mean? Hang on, hang on, hang on. You just want some free stuff from Red Bull, Christian. I'm not buying this. Are you drinking a Red Bull? You, you've really, you've quite literally drunk the Kool-Aid here. It's, it, it, it tastes like um, what I imagine a battery to taste like. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Proof I like it. I So it's everywhere on the Red Bull campus. There are fridges everywhere and they're like, help yourself. And it got to the point where the Red Bull team were looking after us so well. But after my third coffee, and I was like, have you got anything without caffeine in it? Possibly. But I... Did get one and thought, oh, I'll enjoy that later. I like a Red Bull. God, everyone that works there must be buzzing off their tits. I sat there like... Ooh. That's, why they're all do- that's why they're doing so well, because they're all is working there- on double speed. <laughs> is, there- is everyone jittering when they talk to you? I, I, so I'd had the third coffee, and then I'd had one of their sort of Red Bull ginger drinks, and I was... Sh- shaking like hell imagine all these red bull bosses coming in to hear a talk from racing pride and I'm like, hi welcome ah. but that's why i bought this one home no what well, yes no you're so right betty no wonder they're best team in the world these guys don't sleep <laughs> constantly working there was a lovely person called abs who listens to the podcast she'd been out on a walk listening to our podcast she works at red bull and she'd been out on a walk being like oh christian's coming to red bull and then was walking through the canteen and saw me and stopped and asked for a picture and said how much she loves listening to the three of us and said hello to the, to to Betty, producer Jimmy and Craig. Walking. I, ima- I imagine she was running because she's so <laughs> high on Red Bull. She's, she was running through the campus. Hello, Christian. Nice to meet you. I love the podcast. 
Please say hello to Betty and Greg. <laughs> Bye-bye, see you soon. I listen to the podcast at three times speed. So thanks, Abs. It was lovely to meet you. Abs, who was one of our listeners who said hello to me at Red Bull. Lovely. Well, look, despite us saying, well, me and, me and Betty saying that we don't really like the drink associated with Red Bull, we are huge fans of the industry they've created and the legacy they've created in this sport, which we're fascinated with. So, you know, just to, to offer up the other side of it, we would love to chat to more of the amazing Red Bull people. And actually, if you want to come on and have a right to reply, and if you're really chilled and work for Red Bull, <laughs> then we'd love to hear from you. Because in our heads, you're just, oh, nice to meet you, great to be on a podcast. Then uh, that would be great. So yes, uh, despite not liking the liquid associated with um, the team, we do love the team. And speaking of... Formula One liquid. That brings us nicely on to a listener question from Yana on Instagram. And they say, hi, everybody. During the Grand Prix in Barcelona, we spotted adverts for Aramco petrol. And it got us all thinking, do the teams use the same type of fuel or is there a rule on it? Is it similar to what you'd get at the pumps? Um, or do they have their own special F1 fuel, like in planes, because it's aviation fuel and it's slightly different, isn't it? I, get, I think it's an ethanol issue, this is ethanol content. Am I right, Christian? Yes, you are. Like a lot of things in F1, it is similar to the technology that is in your road car, but a souped-up version of it. It is an E10 fuel, which is 90% fuel and 90% Greg renewable ethanol and that renewable elements came in in 2022 and when f1's new engines come in which we touched briefly on in the last podcast and we'll do more about in future somewhere between 2026 when they come in and 2030 f1 wants to have a 100 sustainable fuel and they're actually working with aramco to do that so it is a special type of fuel it's called e10 it is more powerful but that technology does filter down to our road cars and the hope is that if that 100% renewable fuel makes it to f1 it could be used in road cars without too much of a transition and it's it is the same type of fuel but there are different brands who make it and every team has their own fuel partner so mercedes are petronas uh, red bull are exxon mobil and Ferrari are Shell, for example. Same type of fuel, different people make it. Hang on, I didn't I didn't know that. So each team will take their own fuel supply. I guess they can just get it locally, but that's kind of mad, isn't it? Like everything in F1, you're interpreting the rules in the best possible way. Because without the without the F1 rules, these things would just be rocket ships. So again, there are rules on petrol and it makes E10 and all these brands make E10. What would happen if I put this more powerful type of fuel into my Skoda Fabia? Uh, even more of its wheel rims would come off and it would still <laughs> need a hoover. So rude. Um, we've got another question that has come in on email. This is from Jess. She says, why out of the entire world are so many of the F1 teams based in southern England? Do you know what? I have thought about it because I'd love a... Love an F1 team up in Manchester. Uh, does anybody know what the significance of the 13th of May 1950 is? Yes, I do actually, must say. Go on. It's when the uh, 
the uh, first ever F1 race was held, is it? Did you know that or is it only because it's written in the episode notes <laughs> that you've seen my notes? I could have guessed that. Right, okay, fine. Um, but I did just clarify it in the episode notes. Yeah, so you you cheated really there. Um, the first ever F1 race was held on the 13th of May 1950 at Silverstone, uh, which is an ex-airfield runway and... The UK's one of, not the only, but one of the sort of pioneer countries of motorsports. A lot of the teams were set up in England. And where did they choose to set themselves up? Close to Silverstone, because it's always been the home of British motorsport. And to an extent, is one of world motorsports homes. It's one of the historic tracks. And even though F1's trying to go to exciting, glamorous locations like Las Vegas and Miami and Shanghai and all of this... Silverstone, this airfield in the middle of Northamptonshire, is famous. So a lot of the teams like Aston Martin, who are based at Silverstone, and Mercedes in Brackley, uh, Red Bull in Milton Keynes, are all where they are because they're pretty close to Silverstone. The Mercedes factory is Oxfordshire, I think. And I know where Toto Wolff lives. Ooh. I've driven past his house and he's got lots of AMGs on the driveway in Oxford. Are you stalking him now, Greg? I'm not not stalking him. Mm. Mm. It's Brackley and according to the Mercedes website, 70 miles northwest of London. Oxford. There we are. (laughs) I've got images of you driving past Toto's Wolf, screaming out of the window, what's the time? And then just driving past again. Okay, let's have another question. And this is from Christopher, who slid into the DMs. Uh, And in case you're old, that means direct messages. A very interesting point. Fuel for thought here. Fuel for thought, sorry. With sport adding more street races onto the calendar, and some fans saying that the circuits can be a bit dull, what do you think F1 could do to improve overtaking on these very narrow circuits? Shorter, narrower cars, maybe? Limited DRS zones? Do they even need to make them more exciting? Very interested to hear what you think. Well, we we personally love the scenery, don't we, guys? So I would never call it boring. Uh, me and Betty, as novices, we find them exciting just because they look nice and it's sort of, ooh, going past the castle in Baku, bless you. But, Christian, do you objectively like them uh, from an actual racing point of view? Uh, good question. I do like them. I think it's very, right, from a non-racing point of view, it's great for the sport to bowl into these really cool locations and take over. And I've spoke to a lot of new fans, particularly in America, who went, I love the fact that it was coming to near where I live and it sucks people in. So there's really good value in doing that. They've got to make sure the racing's right. And Miami, for example, they haven't mastered that yet. It's such an impressive campus of what they've done. And I'm such a fan of Miami. I'm such a fan of the sport being there. They they still need to think of the circuit and, and work with... You get, like, the Sky Pundit, Karun Chandok. He works with circuits to improve overtaking. Abu Dhabi, for example, that was always a bit crap for overtaking. Karun worked with them and has made it better. We've just seen with the Spanish Grand Prix, they got rid of the fiddly, stupid little chicane at the very end of the circuit... And open that up. And that massively improved overtaking. In terms of what could be done, I'd like the cars to be a bit smaller. I don't think it's going to happen. We're at the very start of a technical regulation run that came in last year. So I don't think that's going to happen. The boring answer to the question is, I think they need to judge it track by track. 
But credit to F1, its changes that it did at the Spanish Grand Prix last weekend is proof it is doing that. So I think you're going to see changes to tracks rather than see big changes to the cars to answer Christopher's point. Great answer. Thank you. What we're looking for is when Mario Kart goes mini. Well, they did. They were a lot smaller back in the day. They've never skewed to shells and bananas, sadly, but they were a lot smaller. Bernie Eccleston, the former sort of big boss of the sport, went a bit mad once and wanted to bring in sprinklers, uh, which was sort of quite Mario Kart-esque because it was like, oh, rain makes Grand Prix entertaining. Let's bring in sprinklers. That's like something me and Greg would bring in if we were <laughs> if we were managing it. <laughs> yeah. We love these questions, though, guys. They keep them coming in. Um, we need more Beat the Christians, but also, Greg, I would love another Who Am I game. So can you... Get someone set up for us to play another Who Am I? Because that was brilliant. But yeah, get in touch with us on the DMs. Slide into our DMs at Fast Curious Pod on Instagram. We're also on TikTok. And also get in touch with us via email, fastandcurious at acast.com. Well, yes, I will sort out that game. But only if you name it correctly. It's not called Who Am I? It's called What Do You Do? And it is to be said in the style of our late... Uh, Majesty. It was the Fast and the Curious's loving tribute to her late Majesty. Oh, and also, while we're getting questions in, Betsy, do you want to talk about your special guest on the next episode, please? Yep, so we're going to have Chloe Grant back on the Fast and the Curious. We spoke to Chloe Grant, who is a female driver for the F1 Academy. Um, We spoke to her before the F1 Academy even got started. Me and Christian had a good chat with her and also her mum. So that's worth listening to if you want to find out a bit more about her um, and what it all involves. But we're going to have her back to kind of catch up, see how the series is going for her so far um, and just have a bit more of an in-depth chat about kind of, I guess, what it's like being a female driver, trying to kind of break into this very male-dominated industry and just... Yeah, talk to her about her journey so far and what she wants to achieve. And I'm not here next week. I'm sad to be missing this. I'm going on holiday. So Betty, request for me. Can you please check in on Sharon, her mum? Uh, Chloe was amazing last time, but Sharon slightly stole the show, didn't she? So I'd like, I'll be listening from while I'm ambling around Portugal. I'd quite like a Sharon update, please, if that's all right. Oh, I will get you a Sharon update. What you need is some Sharon news. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, oh, no. Betty. You've got to, <laughs> in my absence. You've got to sing Sharon News to Chloe. You've got to. Okay. You made me sing it in front of bloody Zach Brown. Yeah, I'll see what I can do, Christian. I'll see what I can do. But I will get you some Sharon News because she's a legend, and I hope she's been popping more bottles. So let's talk about Fast and the Curious Bingo. So a few episodes ago, Betty accidentally launched. A game of her own. I think we should have a Fast and the Curious bingo card because, like, you have to do a short shot every time Greg says cricket. (laughs) You've got to do a shot every time Christian says fine margins. Every time someone goes, this sport is mad. So off the back of that, there's been a lot of suggestions for things that could be added to the card. This one's from Georgie. A shot... Every time Betty's dog interrupts or gets a mention, <laughs> the same for Barney. Oh, God, you'd be so drunk after a few episodes. Rachel says anytime Christian sings McLaren News. 
Sims. Uh, but I've been sacked now, haven't I? That it's it's the little lad, the the listener's cute little kid. He's been. You said that he takes over the jingle now. <laughs> yes, same for when it's Arthur, isn't it? When Arthur sings. Yeah. And for those who missed it, this is what Arthur singing the jingle sounds like. There you go. Tick that off your bingo list. And finally, Alex says when anyone, but mostly Greg, does a Toto Wolf impression. I think you can maybe just add any of the <laughs> team principals. Well, Toto or Christian Horner. There's already been a Christian Horner impression in this podcast, hasn't there? Producer Jimmy has sent a message to the group saying maybe it should be a shot of Red Bull every time. Yes, that's a good point. Now, we're not advocating drinking necessarily. Um, it could be a shot of a soft drink or... I'll tell you what we do love here on this podcast, a shot of Lucky Saint, which is one one of the all-time great alcohol-free beers. I've had people talk to us about that advert that we recorded for Lucky Saint. Oh, yeah. Certain (laughs) listeners to the podcast will get me, Betty and Greg plugging things. Since doing that advert, I've tried Lucky Saint. Isn't it brilliant? Yeah, I love Genuinely it. Genuinely is. Je- same here. I had it with a barbecue the other day. No one knew I wasn't drinking, but I was having the time of my life. Loved it. <laughs> you're, you're sort of insinuating that adverts are lies. So I'm um, slightly concerned. Not out. Well, no, not, no, no, not our ones. <laughs> no, that, that's important. To, it's important to sort of state that. You can always trust us here at The Fast and the Curious. Or can you? No, no, you can. Okay. Let's do a quick chat about Canada. What do we need to know about Canada? It's not this weekend, so we'll we'll probably be back before that Grand Prix. What's the big news in Formula One this week, Christian? The big news out of Spain was Mercedes doing much, much better. So it will be interesting to see whether that pace continues An interesting little bit of gossip that I picked up whilst at Red Bull. I was speaking to one team member who shall remain nameless. And he said, I think Aston Martin will get close to us this year. Which fascinated me. So will Aston Martin bounce back and be the second quickest team? And over the course of the season, how close can they get? Just on that, Christian, did you see what Fernando Alonso has been saying to the media? Have you heard this clip where um, somebody in the media um, asked Alonso whether or not the Alonso and Aston Martin hype train has kind of run out of steam. And he just went, that will be the last race without a podium. I thought, go on, Alonso. That is fighting talk. Aston Martin are going to be aggressive with their upgrades between now and the end of the season. Will they bring upgrades? Will they get back to Red Bull? And also the Canada circuit is fantastic. It is a street circuit. It is one of those, though, that you can overtake. It's also quite a thin circuit, which can create some chaos and and crashes and safety cars. Um, It's a testament to how good the drivers are in F1 this year. We've, We've had a lot fewer yellow flags and safety cars recently. Because we've not had as many crashes, it's a it's a testament to the reliability and also the quality of the drivers. So whether that will continue in Canada remains to be seen. But it, it's normally a really good race, Canada. It's also an evening race. It doesn't start until seven o'clock or something like that, seven-ish in the evening. Um, also, there's been wildfires in that region of the world. And the latest days that the Canadian Grand Prix should still go ahead. The F1 saying, look, 
it's not that part of the world that's affected. So because there's been a lot of talk on social media about will there even be a Canadian Grand Prix? That there will be. We we understand. And with that, let's wind up today's Fast and the Curious. Betty, thank you so much. Live from the garden, and Christian Hugill, thank you to you. Some fantastic insights into the inner workings of one of the greatest Formula One teams of all time. Loved it. Thank you, Gregory. Thanks, Greg. Bye, Christian. Bye, Betty. Enjoy the garden, won't you, my love? 